Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to season two of the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox. Because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur, we all contend with challenges and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm always amazed again at the heart-centered leaders that I am connecting with or being introduced to. And I have to give kudos to my assistant producer, Christine, for finding our guest today. So let me introduce you to Komal Fez. She is the founder of Wonder Light, and she's also the co-author in the book, Contentious Cities, published by Rutledge. She has a master's in strategic foresight and innovation, and she also has her bachelor's degree in communication design. Currently, she's building a new business called Wonderlight. So, Komel, welcome to the show. Hi, Deb. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm intrigued by your websites and the work that you've been doing. And I want to just start actually with a basic question today, because a lot of younger leaders or up and coming leaders, sometimes I call them accidental leaders, they're learning about different titles and roles and responsibilities. And I know that you have quite a bit of experience and are a seasoned leader. And I'd like you to explain the term for us, if you will, what a senior UX researcher is and how you landed in that job after your education. That's a wonderful question because I get this question often, especially when I meet new people and I say, oh, yeah, I'm a UX researcher. And they think some researcher, yes, what is UX? So just to put it in simple ways, UX stands for user experience. And what that means is the web applications you use, whether it's an app or a website or any other digital form, it usually, you would have noticed, it has a built-in experience of you'll go from here to here, you will see certain kinds of buttons, you will see certain kind of visuals. All that is considered the experience any user will have on that digital platform. And as a UX researcher, what I do is I reach out to users, um, potential users, and I try to understand what is it that they are looking for? What are their needs? How can we meet those needs better by designing or providing a certain type of experience or a certain type of visual and digital experience to them? And what will help meet our numbers and our requirements while meeting the needs of those users? So a simple example would be, sometimes I reach out and I ask people, what was it like filling the form online? A very open-ended question. And they would tell me, yeah, it took a lot of time. I didn't want to give my phone number and my email address. And then I'll dig deeper into understanding why is it harder or is it inconvenient to give phone numbers? 
And then they will tell me that these are the scam calls, they're harder to block. So that's an insight for me from the UX research perspective. And I'll take it to the team, the designers, the project managers, and the tech folks. And we will design solutions such as, should we change this question? Should we give the user more power to choose if they want to give their phone number or email? And such discussions then lead to a new user experience on that digital platform. So yeah, that's in a nutshell what a UX researcher does. It wasn't a core focus of my master's program, but it was one of the focus, um, one of the sections that was an important part of the program. And for some reason, I just sort of connected with the research aspect and the people aspect of it and the strategy side that this brings in because it is so well-informed. You're just not making strategies up in the air. You're really basing them on what the user needs. So that's how I got into this. I think a lot of times younger up-and-coming leaders see different terms and each generation has brought different titles, different roles, different responsibilities. And again, I knew what it was, but I don't want to be presumptuous and saw it as an opportunity for you to explain it because it's been an avenue that you've traveled. So thank you for that. Now, my second question has permanent residency on the podcast, and we would love to hear what imperfections that you bring to your heart-centered leadership. There's so many, as with any other human out there, we just get better at making those imperfections either not appear or make them look like they're perfect. So for me, one of the imperfections I have that I bring into my leadership roles and even when I'm building my business is the value of being uncertain and being okay with it. A lot of people would doubt this point and say, no, 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 no. A leader has to be certain, has to know everything, has to have all the answers. But what I've learned so far, maybe it's this era or this time uh, we're living in, when you bring out the uncertainty to your team and when you share that vulnerability that comes with uncertainty, you are not God. You don't have all the answers. You don't know what's going to happen, what's not going to happen. But you do have the passion and drive to say, even though I'm uncertain right now, there is an answer out there. There is this certainty out there and I will get there. But there is no harm in saying out loud, I don't know. Let's figure it out. I think that's one thing that I love bringing to the team. And I've always felt like whenever I've taken a step to share that uncertainty, people have stepped forward and beyond their, their, their capacity or their, their role per se to really help navigate the situation. So for example, I have like four interns, now five working with me uh, at Wanderlight and I sit with them and I tell them, guys, this is the situation we're in. We have not started making profits, but these are A, B, C things that we are struggling with. So I don't know the answers, but what do you guys think? And they, they really bring it, bring their, their, their best forward. And we come up with such great ideas. It became, it becomes like so easy for everyone to then be their authentic self share their ideas. So this is the one thing I've noticed to be very valuable, bringing out the vulnerability that comes with uncertainty and being a leader and saying, yes, I might not have all the answers. 
What I love about that to me is uncertainty is imperfect. And I, I see that to be very synonymous. And when you show that vulnerability to your team, I think it deepens both the trust and the rapport that you may be building, or it certainly hones it to be stronger. So what a beautiful way to frame that. And most people in C-suite positions, there's Gallup polls, a lot of research, most CEOs on average, the average percentage is 72%. They don't have all the answers. And, and again, you eloquently said that. We, we do the best we can with what we have within the time we have it. And I think still living and leading in these unprecedented times, that's the best that we can do each and every day. It becomes very relatable because we've all had those moments. We've all been in that. So when things become relatable is when we want to invest in being a part of it. Absolutely. Now, I want to shift gears a little bit. And my next question is, let me preface it first and give it some context. You talk about being a brown woman and an immigrant who, with her heart, is pursuing her dream. And you love researching about women and traveling and immigrating. But you've come full circle with that and really stepped into your greatness. And I know that you offer mentorship. And that mentorship has come from your own experiences from South Asia. And you talk about your studying, your working, your living, and all of the roadblocks and barriers that exist. So my question is, share with us how you took that relatability, I call it growth from the valley, that resilience, and turned it into a mentorship program. And just kind of give us an overview of when you started it, we know the why, and how many women have you taken through it? And is it where you wanted it to be, or do you still see it growing as, as time goes on? Deb, you're, this is a wonderful question. I mean, the way you framed it and the way you've like brought it together, I just want to start with praising that. So when I came to Canada, almost like six years ago, 2015, my biggest reason to come here was I'll take my business to a global stage. I was already running another business in Pakistan at that time. And if I could find a way to give back or to contribute to people and communities from the developing countries uh, in the world, specifically Pakistan. And, and that was a big thing which drove me to go beyond and step out of Pakistan and, you know, come here uh, for my education and for the business. Soon I figured I, I cannot really do the business. I need some basic stuff, which is finances to actually survive day to day. I didn't want to rely on my parents making my place here. It was like starting from scratch. I did have a very good network in Pakistan, but and I was teaching in Pakistan. So that way, that is where the mentorship ideas started for me. I was teaching undergraduate students. I was also mentoring some um, people in through my earlier business, Design Pakistan. And when I went through all those struggles after moving here as an immigrant, especially as a woman and as a single woman, it just, it just hit me that there are so many other women out there there's so many other people out there that are going through this. And especially as a South Asian, especially as a brown woman, 
there is really less of the heart to heart sharing or or that the way of like hey i'm here for you if you need me um i've been through it and i can help understand your context i've had a lot of south asian women from pakistan from india from bangladesh reach out to me through linkedin through uh friends of friends through instagram asking for different things and i've always made it a priority to share and then i got to this project this was in collaboration with professors and researchers from Coventry University UK University of Malaya Malaysia and us in Pakistan and that is where we stepped deeper into the same section of like women and hurdles and their decision making but in the context of how transportation and mobility really makes a difference and you'll be amazed at that so much of the so many of the decisions that women make are so centered around their ability to freely move in a place in a community if she has a child and her job is 2 hours drive away she'd rather leave that job and um find something that is probably 20 30 minutes away we don't take that into context transportation system does not definitely take that into context and in that project i talked to a lot of women from different uh financial backgrounds educational backgrounds in pakistan in malaysia in uk and the same thing solidified i got to this point where when i was starting my own business and i took that leap i said this is the biggest opportunity for me to give back or to help build this mentorship and i started i posted this one i remember just one linkedin post for a intern position and i this was the first time i literally had a new page and i got 150 applications for that for that internship role and i i was wondering i was telling my friends i was like this, this is unreal like nobody even knows wandered like like how are people applying to this is this probably a really bad time in the market like what's going on and um later when i onboarded the interns and i asked them they some of them said that they really when they talked to me and when they saw the position they really loved that aspect of the mentorship that i was offering and my interns when they started i interviewed them and everything and when they started i think the first thing i told them i am not your boss i'm not your manager i'm a mentor i learned from you as well as try to guide you this is your way of learning this is your platform to learn and uh, let me know if this is not fun uh, you know going along this journey i could not be more grateful i really have some amazing interns and their their contribution and their passion inspires me every day some days i don't want to get up and i'm like i just cannot solve this you know you just want to sit in the in your bed and be like i I I just want to find this one solution that will make everything work out. And then I'll get a message from one of the interns saying, "Hey, I've done this and this and this. Can you check it up?" And I'll look at the document and be like, "If these guys have that much passion to solve it, I can revitalize myself to get back on it and find a solution for what I'm struggling for." So, it's very rewarding and it's very heart-centered, absolutely pure. and authentic and i think nothing could have been better in this journey well in the authenticity and leadership that you bring 
you know, you're seeing some of the fruits of that labor right now, but you may never know for years or decades to come the impression that you've left and engraved on some of these mentees' hearts and how that will show up in fruition in their leadership. So that's really beautiful. So my last leadership question is, I would love to know how you feel we can best exercise and lead with agility to foster a vital, healthy culture. Well, I've talked about the uncertainty part and the mentorship part. Those, I think, are very important in any leadership position. But I think one more thing that I'd like to add to this is the way a leader can think of themselves as a facilitator and a collaborator really, really helps foster that sort of culture of the team and culture of we're in this together, which leads to making teams more agile. Because when you're together, it's like you're taking the leap faster. When you are separated, it's literally like you are running in five different directions and trying to pull it together and then keep going forward. There's so much resistance. And what I mean by leaders thinking of themselves as facilitators or collaborators is really a couple of things, which comes from my experience. Maybe it's not something that are in the books, but um, it's very experience-based. One of the things in collaboration and thinking of yourself as facilitator is you need to accept that there will be other perspectives, other opinions on the table, which you won't have. And it is okay. It is really okay for some one who is probably your junior or probably a new employee or a new intern to tell you that they think differently. It is a great learning moment. Some of the best things I've learned is when someone said, I, I don't agree to what you're saying because this is my perspective. Some people who've been my seniors and my manager, I've seen them get angry, get frustrated. They see that as an attack on their ego because, yeah, I understand like at a, le- at a higher leadership position, sometimes you think that you know everything. But if you step back and, and reconsider and think, this is my moment to facilitate this thought. This is my moment to inculcate that collaboration part and tell everyone it's okay to have different perspectives. But the point is, I'm here to help you guys converge on a common point, even though you might have different perspectives, opinions, ways of working. As a leader, I am here to help converge and to let you diverge as well before we converge. And, and there, there, is a, there is a bit of a, a trick in that because sometimes you get dragged into either diverging too much or converging too fast. To give you an example of this is this one time we were three or four people sitting in a room in one of my jobs and the designer had a different perspective. The product manager had a different perspective. The developer had a different perspective because all of these people were coming through their lens of getting the work done in the best way. And I was sitting there as a researcher and um, I had information. These guys, The designer has more action-centric approach. The product manager really wants to show numbers. And the developer wants to get the thing out there uh, executed. So when I was sitting and I was listening to the differences, I thought to myself, 
if I ever get to be the CEO, I will try to communicate how their perspectives are different and how we can leverage all these perspectives to then take a leap forward. Because I saw the CEO sit there and quietly observe. He didn't take any any decisions. He didn't want to influence any discussion, which makes sense. But there was a bit of a thing missing where he was letting them take a lead, yes, but wasn't helping them converge. So I think that was a moment when I, I thought, this is what leadership should be able to do as a facilitator, fostering this sort of collaboration. I've been trying to do that so far. It's been successful, but... I don't know, maybe we'll meet after some time and we'll talk about, well, that was great. And then I learned this on top. And so I have a new nugget. <laughs> so, yeah. Absolutely. And and some of the best qualities of leadership is, is silence and observation, like you alluded to. So I knew you could answer that question. Okay, I'm going to switch to my Rapid, fast, fab four, just four fun questions, whatever's sitting on the top of that brilliant mind of yours. First question, tell us something we don't know about you. Oh, you don't know a lot about me. <laughs> I love dancing. And I actually took a course in modern dance. See, we just learned something new. <laughs> okay, second question, finish the sentence for me. Heart-centered leadership is? The best gift you can give to your team. Oh, I love that. Third question. Share a book that you're reading right now or one that you're looking to read and share the title and author if you have it and why you chose to read it or you want to read it. I just started rereading 40 Rules of Love yesterday. It's by Elaf Shafak. It's basically based on the life and experiences of Rumi, who was a poet and an author and a mystic from South Asia or Middle East. Please don't quote me on that. But it's about basically the rules of life and how heart centricity, actually, interestingly, really makes a difference in how you live your life. So the 40 rules of love are basically not about romantic love only, but the love that you bring in this world and for yourself and for others. That's a good book. I haven't heard of that one. So I'm going to make note to to pick that one up. So thank you for sharing. And my last question is, what is one thing that you would like our listeners to remember about you today? They heard a woman who dreams to probably change the world around her someday and hopes that one day they'll wake up, turn on the TV and say, ooh, we heard the podcast of this girl. <laughs> well, I think they will remember your name. And I'm grateful that you took some time to share your expertise, but more importantly, your heart with me today. So thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much, Deb. This was so amazing. I love this conversation. And thank you for giving me this opportunity. My pleasure. And we will put all of Kamal's information below in the podcast episode description. So you can check out her website. And you can also check out her website on Wonderlight and we'll be able to follow her leadership journey. You've been listening to the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm Deb Crow. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. 
And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the Heart-Centered Leadership Toolkit, all free of charge. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you again.